Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. Moving forward, taking failures and challenges as things to conquer, not to be feared. That is a quality of confident people. If you're dealing with like a really loud, outspoken person who seems confident because they're brutally assertive or bold, they could just be an asshole and a bully. That's not someone who's confident because confident people make others feel worthy because they they themselves feel worthy. They don't bully people. So basically, if you keep telling your sister Mary about all your exciting things that you want to do and she keeps downering them, stop talking to fucking Mary, okay? Mm. She's not going to change, man. Mary is a person that downers stuff, okay? Hey folks, how about a non-drinker telling you what kind of alcohol you should drink? That's right, it's pseudo-sommelier Brad Kearns here to recommend dry farm wines. Why? Because if you choose to drink, I want you to be healthy and make a superior choice to the mainstream commercial wines. Listen to my podcast with Dry Farm Wines founder Todd White. The insights were astonishing, especially that most all commercial wines are loaded with dozens of chemicals that the FDA allows in your wine but don't have to be listed on the label. And the sugar, oh my goodness, the sugar levels can be as much or more per liter than Coca-Cola but difficult to taste due to the acidity in the wine. Dry Farm Wines is a membership club where you're shipped hand-picked wines from old-world family-run vineyards in France, Italy, Greece, and Sicily. These wines come from non-irrigated vineyards hundreds of years old that deliver a tastier, higher antioxidant grape, and they're independent lab certified to be completely free from chemical additives and naturally 100% sugar-free. That's right, the sugar was allowed to ferment out instead of be arrested by chemical intervention in the name of pleasing the average consumer palate that has a sweet tooth. The Dry Farm Wines Club has taken off like crazy because ancestral and keto enthusiasts, people who care about their health, appreciate a sugar-free wine. You'll enjoy the variety, the taste, and the pleasant sensation in the aftermath of burning through the alcohol buzz and going on with your life without a hangover. So if you care about your carb intake and your overall health, Dry Farm Wines has a special promotion for podcast listeners. Get your first bottle for a penny when you enroll at dryfarmwines.com slash brad or click on the Dry Farm Wines at the bradkerns.com shopping page. Cheers. Here we go with L. Russ, the L. Russ, my longtime Primal Blueprint co-worker, longtime host of the Primal Blueprint podcast. We share the hosting duties there. She has put up some fantastic shows and is a master interviewer of numerous guests in the health and primal living space. And L. has become quite an authority 
on her own on thyroid health. She wrote a book called The Paleo Thyroid Solution, detailing her journey to thyroid health, her circuitous journey where she had to depart from the typical medical advice and figure out how to heal herself. So she kind of departs from her health expertise with this new book that we're going to focus the show on called Confident as Fuck. Yeah. She is a multi-diverse, talented human. She has a long history in Hollywood as an actor and a writer, and now she's trending into the personal growth space. So you're going to get some really interesting insights and also, I believe, a fresh look at the the topic or the quest to boost self-confidence, self-esteem. She identifies herself as a confident person. She's going to come off that way right away. She's a rapid-fire, high-energy, big-message person. But she also admits that there are some pitfalls. There's a dark side of being a highly confident person, which could be that you are Uh, have difficulty or unwilling to be vulnerable. So she's going to talk about hitting both sides of the challenge here, uh, boosting your confidence if that's necessary in certain areas of your life, and then being uh, more aware of where you might be uh, running roughshod through life and through relationships where you might benefit from uh, a little more self-reflection, vulnerability, honesty. And boy, when you listen to our first show together, one of the first shows on uh, my podcast, she talked for the first time in public, she reveals on the show that she's had a long-standing severe disability with her hands that she decided to keep secret for many, many years uh, because she was worried how people might judge her. And she describes how this harboring, this secret uh, framed, affected uh, many ways that she uh, behaved in life, especially in relationships, uh, her self-esteem, and kind of breaking out of that by telling her story with truthfulness. And then I think bringing the germination of this idea to write the book, Confident as Fuck. So we're going to learn about ditching bad vibes and negative energy, people who are holding you back. She calls it the downer effect. Also about going back into your past, addressing certain things. Uh, She likes to call one of them parental garbage. These are the uh, flawed, self-limiting beliefs that we formed in childhood and carried with us. Uh, Both the overt stuff where you, if you had an abusive situation, you're working through that and and dealing with that for, for years and decades after. But also the subtle stuff where you might be carrying Uh, certain personality attributes or behavior patterns that emanate from uh, childhood programming or from past experience that might be worth reflecting upon and moving past. So I think you're going to get a really interesting show with uh, wonderful insights, anecdotes, and food for thought with L. Russ, confident as fuck. Check her out at lruss.com, E-L-L-E-R-U-S-S, and as the hostess of the Primal Blueprint podcast and also the Kick-Ass Life podcast. Boom. L. Russ, I'm so glad to catch up to you. We cross paths on the airways all the time, doing those Primal Blueprint podcasts. Once in a while, we, we sit down and have a joint conversation, and readers agree that these are some of the best shows in the history of the entire Primal <laughs> Blueprint experience. And now I'm so happy to have you over here at BRAD talking about a, a topic that's perfectly aligned with the, the brand of the podcast. Your amazing book, Confident as... <gasps> Yeah, thanks so much. Also, you are rad. 
Um, and if anyone's listening to Brad for the first time, please go check out his Instagram page where he keeps all of us youngins completely motivated and shamed <laughs> as to our physical fitness. Yeah, you're you're rad, dude. You're always doing rad stuff. So I love it. Love talking to you. And of course, you know, uh, we've we did the first book together, Paleothyroid Solution. So, you know, I think I've known you now eight years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's right. A lot of good fun with the primal community. And that was your first book, right? The, the Paleothyroid Solution. And it was incredibly well-received. It's still a top seller years later, which is pretty rare for a book. Uh, but then it was interesting because you kind of totally changed course and tackled a different topic uh, in, in the new book. But I think let's go back a little bit and talk about you know how that run has been for you with the, with the Paleo book and uh, all the thyroid community kind of coming together and seeing things in a different light rather than just taking the drugs their doctor prescribes and then just kind of morph us into where you got the idea to start this new book. And, and then we can talk about that, what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, the paleo thyroid solution, you know, when, when you guys first published it, I, I was like, all I care about is that they make their money back and I help like one person. If I could just help one person, you know, well, it turns out it's been thousands now all over the world. And it's really great. People bring their book to their doctors. I've had conversations with clients and their doctors together on the phone. Really great to see uninformed doctors entrenched in outdated protocols from like 1973 who are like, oh, let me learn. That's what's really great. Now, a lot of them don't. And there's still the majority of doctors out there are really uninformed when it comes to thyroid health. But it has been such a pleasure to help people all over the world. And frankly, the story is the same everywhere you go. <laughs> You've got these uninformed doctors using outdated protocols. So I'm just so happy that I finally put it out there. And, you know, the truth is, is that the best-selling thyroid books have been written by patients because we understand we've had to tinker with the hormones we get, what works, what doesn't, how it feels, and what these cofactors are. So um, I'm just so grateful to have contributed to this whole topic. Um, the other two authors that I love that I always mention, and the only other two books that I do suggest for thyroid, uh, the authors are Jamie Bothorpe and also Paul Robinson. So um, those are the only two thyroid authors uh, that I trust. And also they both helped me individually help me save my life. And this is really the story of thyroid patients from around the world. Because doctors haven't understood, because they steer us in the wrong direction, and most of them are uninformed. And in order to get a good one, you really, really got to usually pay way out to a functional medicine doctor or something else get someone knowledgeable, which people just aren't inclined to do. Um, and so it's just, it's so great to be able to finally like put this out there um, and, and help everybody. And, you know, honestly, it, it never gets old when someone's like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so great. Like my mind woke up, you know I mean? Every day that there's one of those messages from someone is, is so, it's so worth it. So I'm glad I went through the hell of the suffering. I suffered for about seven years. Um, the decade in my thirties, about seven years was lost to hypothyroidism, a couple of different bouts and it's been great. So as I, you know, people were a little bit shocked when I came out with, you know, the confident as fuck book and they were like, Hmm, what's this about? And, uh, in transitioning to that, I would just say my whole life ever, you know, even at primal, when people used to have to go ask Mark for a raise, they would call me because <laughs> I think they were like, Either they didn't know their worth, they needed a little self-esteem, they needed a boost. Uh, maybe they were a little intimidated. <laughs> I don't understand why, but I get that myself and Mark might have intimidating personalities a little bit. Mark can be very no shit to the point. So it was really funny. So people my whole life have been coming to me for like the pep talk. How do I 
have a quick comeback to the bully? How do I approach this nasty mom at the PTA meeting or like whatever the thing is, I'm getting those calls. And I noticed this theme, right? This absolute theme that they all had to do with things that involve confidence, being able to speak up, declare your worth, uh, draw boundaries, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And so it just, it, it was just, it flew out of me, just like the paleothyroid solution. It was a topic and something that's near and dear to my heart. Now I will say this. I learned so much in this process over the years, helping people with confidence, because I had a lot of pitfalls as a highly confident person. Um, we don't want to show vulnerability. We don't want to appear weak in any way. So that kind of uh, makes us inaccessible, inaccessible in a lot of ways. Um, we are not good at receiving, whether it's help or compliments. Um, we but you're are saying often- this is a, a, conf- a confident person? has these things going on? Is that what you mean? What I'm saying is a, a confident person has pitfalls. And these pitfalls, are the, yeah. the other side. So this is what I realized. And all of these people who were coming to me who needed to speak up, who needed more confidence, they actually were also helping me because they had these qualities of, and you know, you could call it beta versus alpha, whatever. I don't mm. uh, attribute any negative uh, definitions to this, but I would just say they were more vulnerable. They were more likely, in, you know, to accept compliments, to receive help. They were they were better at, you know, being vulnerable. They're also more diplomatic. They, while they may have had issues with speaking up when they do, it's usually more well thought out and delivered in a better diplomatic way than a highly confident person like myself. And you know this, because obviously I'm very opinionated, but one of my biggest lessons is, you know, be careful on the scent. Right, I probably had it happen a couple times. Got to be careful on the sand. I put that on my book because confident people were, you know, we're like, hey, I know it, da da da, and uh, we need to give ourselves twenty four hours more than those people do. So while people were coming to me for confidence, I realized that they had qualities that I needed to adopt that were pitfalls to me being this highly confident person. Um, and so that's really why I decided to do it. And the book is, you know, um, like like Mark Sisson says in the forward. It's not filled with filled with tidy to-do lists or acronyms. It's basically a series of stories about either people I coach, people I know in my life, my personal stories that help you scrape the barnacles off your life along the way to see where you might need to develop confidence or where you might need to, you know, ad- address the pitfalls of being confident. So this is for people that are highly confident and might need some refining. And it's also for people that really, really need confidence. Wow, that is really a great way to present it and extremely rare because we're hit with all these messages about how to become more confident and assertive and powerful and, you know, kick ass on and dominate your life every day and all those kind of things. But um, to expose that flip side or that dark side or just to paint the entire uh, thing as a continuum from you know, being uh, uh, meek and shy and uh, don't don't have your own voice all the way over to, uh, you know, spewing your way through life without thinking before you hit the send button. That's a really nice way to present it. And it seems to me that a lot of people are dancing at different points along the continuum, depending on what the issue is. So you have the the great leaders in the workplace who have risen to prominent status and uh, their their name is a popular name on the internet or on the billboard at the going to come to the auto dealership, whatever. But then uh, as a parent or as a partner or in, you know, real life when they're not uh, in this, you know, uh, prominent stage setting that is the workplace, maybe they're a completely different person and they need to kind of pick and pull from the various attributes that they do have 
Yeah. And you know what? This cuts right into, so glad you're on to highlight this. So this cuts into do not judge somebody's confidence based on their inability in a thing. You can be the most confident doctor, brain surgeon. You can also be a badass athlete, but, but can you have a conversation with your, your fucking neighbor? Can you have a conversation with your loved one? I have met people who, again, you can be confident in your ability in a thing. That doesn't mean you have it on the inside. So confident as fuck. What I mean by that is really inside and outside. And I do want to mention that, you know, performance confidence, what you and I both have, you and I have no problem getting on a stage. It doesn't matter how many people are in that auditorium um, and we can do it, but that is learned. That's a skill. And that doesn't mean that when we get off the stage that we're not people pleasers and we're not low self-esteem. So you can have this performance confidence, but that doesn't mean you have it on the inside, which goes to the truth of some of the most, the, the most confident people in the world are the quietest people in the room, you know? And so when I say confidence, I think some people who are a little bit less outspoken might take offense to that thinking that I'm trying to say, oh, you need to be like us or, you know, and no, it's not the case. You're going to need confidence as a stay-at-home mom. You're going to deal with some other kid's parent that's a nightmare. You better learn how to speak up and you're going to have to protect your kids. So this isn't about becoming a badass CEO, although you're going to need confidence to do that, right? Um, and, you know, since you and I are both, I learned everything I've ever learned about paleo ancestral primal health from you and Mark Sisson. But, you know, one of the things that I love that he talks about in his book, Primal Connection, and this is something really important because confidence does provide an evolutionary edge, right? It does. It helps us navigate in challenges, you know, tasks, social situations, all of this stuff. And, and, and what that does is it propels us in the directions of, a, you know, the direction of accomplishing our goals and our dreams and things like that. So back in the old day, back in our hunter-gatherer ancestors' time, they didn't have the luxury of wallowing in despair, self-pity, self-judgment, doubt, right? Life was harsh for them, okay? It was unforgiving, right? And as Mark talks about in Primal Connection, can you imagine our hunter-gatherer ancestors like moping around with their heads hung low, judging themselves as failures? I'm not motivated to hunt today. My yeah, they, yeah when they didn't yesterday. catch the beast, you know, like they're sulking because they didn't catch the beast or, you know, no, because they might have been disappointed, but to the hunter-gatherer, uh, the victim mindset would have been a recipe for death, right? And, you know, this cat, Art Devaney, author of The New Evolution Diet, he's fond of saying, to the hunter-gatherer, there is no failure, only feedback. So I feel like we all need to get a little bit more primal with this. What else is primal about uh, being confident? Standing up, like really you're gonna let somebody just wander up in your tribe up there and gonna be like, oh, wait a minute. So drawing appropriate boundaries, you know what I'm mm. saying? And so um this is really important. I think we need to get back to more of the primal uh evolutionary essence of this. Uh, because now we have all these modern day, like again, walling in self-despair and all these things. Our ancestors just did not have the time to do. It was, again, a recipe for death. They couldn't sit around and cry about some water source being tainted. They had to get up, move on, and forge ahead, moving forward. Taking failures and challenges as things to conquer, not to be feared, that is a quality of confident people. Well said. I guess today we have the quote-unquote luxury of engaging and trafficking in all this nonsense. Because yep. we're not going to have a life or death penalty from being meek, shy, unable to speak our truth, all mm -hmm. those kind of things. And um, so, you know, we, we kind of got into this mess. And a lot of your book is devoted to uh, exposing 
you know, what happened in childhood, what happens in, in day-to-day life that kind of, kind of pushes you back and how to, I guess, unwind it, you know, acknowledge that it's there and then make a choice to do something about it. You want to talk about some of those, those hot points like parental garbage and the downer effect and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, we don't, you know, we're basically born confident. I mean, unless you are like beaten immediately out of the womb, uh, most children are like, right. They cry when they want something. They're like, no, yes. Give me that. Like there's no shame when it comes to kids. That's right. Good point. Yeah. They're adventurous too. They're, they'll take on any challenge. Yeah. They, they don't have fear. They, that's right. why their kids are the best improvisers because they don't have any fear in that game of looking funny or looking weird. They just play it, which is how you're supposed to do it. So kids are like some of the best improvisers out there. Um, so, yeah. So, okay. So, sorry, t- talking about, well, first of all, I like to say Everything's too, great. Everything's great when we're born. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's great. But then at some point along the way, <laughs> right. At some point along the way, Maybe you do get beaten. Maybe your parents tell you you're nothing. Maybe a teacher tells you you're stupid and you're never going to achieve your goals. Okay, so someone's going to be out there. The world is going to project a lack of confidence onto you. It's about what you're going to do about it. But when we're younger, we don't know this and these things are imprinted. I think the perfect example, and this is why I put it in my book and I have lots of them, but one of the perfect examples of parental garbage that really affected someone in their adult life was so innocuous and seemingly such a throwaway event in their childhood, but it affected them so severely in their work. And this is why I want to bring this example up. And this is a story about brand. And so Brandon's now in his 40s, but he's been working for the past couple of decades as a contractor on various projects in Hollywood. So each project, you know, you have a project manager, maybe the project lasts three, five weeks, and then you're done, you go on the next project. So Brandon started to work with this one particular manager who was a little bit of a bully. But this is what the story would happen. Something would go wrong on the project. Brandon was blamed for it, even though it wasn't his fault. And then he'd be yelled at and patronized in front of everybody for that thing going wrong. Brandon never said anything, was just shocked and stunned. It's really difficult, and I understand this. I mean, it's not me and how I act, but I get when you are confronted in a power situation like that with a bully, it's really awkward. You're kind of stunned and shocked, and I I get that a lot of people aren't willing to speak up. So Brandon didn't, and it went on a couple times, but I said to Brandon once, I said, hold on a minute. This particular thing doesn't happen to me or anyone else I know. I've never heard of this. So where, like, where can you remember feeling wrong that you did something that wasn't your fault, that you got blamed for? Did this happen in childhood, kids at school? Like, where where are you always wrong in front of people in positions of authority? Because I just, you know, and tells me the story about when he was a kid. Middle-class household, no one was molested or beaten. Everyone had food and da-da-da, great life, but... Dad was a little bit of a hothead. And so let's say like the hammer meant went, went missing. His dad would be like blaming Brandon for it. I know you took the hammer. Where is it? Brandon would be like, I didn't take the freaking hammer, dad. I don't know where it is. And then his dad would find the hammer and never apologize. Mm. And this one story just was like, oh, okay. Then this is probably where it's coming from. And first it was really getting Brandon to understand that he didn't have to be wrong. We carry stories from our childhood that are familiar with us, whether they're healthy or not. That's psychology 101. Why would somebody who witnessed their mother getting beaten go and be in a relationship with someone who beats them? Why? You think that's the most illogical shit you've ever heard. It's just an unfortunate thing. We repeat patterns that are familiar, whether they're healthy or not. So first it was like, Brandon, you don't have to be wrong. Can we get to that? Then the next stage was, again, having him prepare to speak up because it was going to happen again. And it's going to continue to happen until you do it. 
<laughs> that test is going to be in front of you all the time. We all have different tests. I don't usually have confidence tests because that's not something I need to work on, but I got tests elsewhere, right? So it's always yucky and uncomfortable, but it was going to happen again. Brandon prepared himself for, I may get fired and may lose the money. So of course, if you're supporting a family with a mortgage, yes, you've got to you know, delicately handle these things. So then it happened again. He was playing for something that went wrong. Wasn't his fault. The guy yelled at him and Brandon said something to the effect of, Hey, you're not going to talk to me like that. And until you can speak to me in a professional manner, I'm walking off this job. Well, what happened was what almost always happens to bullies. They're stunned when people call them on their shit. They don't know what to do. And they often crumble. And of course the bully was embarrassed. He was like, Oh, oh my God. I'm sorry. And apologized. And it didn't happen again. Then what happened is Brandon started to attract other different managers for jobs where nothing went freaking wrong. In fact, the opposite. He'd get letters afterwards being like, that was the smoothest project. Oh my God, we loved working with you. All of the opposite stuff that for two decades, he kept running into places where he was made to be wrong, wasn't his fault, couldn't speak up, kept going on and on. And I told Brandon, and this is really my belief. This is sort of what I've seen. When you have something that's a theme like this, and then you finally speak up to be like, mm-mm you're going to get a tester. You are going to get a tester, right? So I told Brown, I go, you're going to get a tester. One of these new managers, that'd be great. Someone's going to say some shit. You're going to have to speak up. It's just, it's how it goes. And he did. He got a tester and he spoke up right away. It was like someone pulled attitude with him. And he was like, Hey, not going to be spoken to like that. Don't accept it. Just real quick, like ended it. And each time Brandon called me and like, I wish I could bottle that confidence, Brad, man, that, that, that day that you're like, ah, oh. and now Brandon has Great. It's been years now, like maybe three, four years. Brandon has had no issues. And when the old guy calls him to be on jobs, he says, nope, <laughs> doesn't work for that person anymore, even though they definitely corrected their thing. But he's like, yeah, OK, too much bad baggage there. So how, how quote, dumb is that, right? What a small little event in, in, in growing up. Just that thing with his dad that led him to get completely screwed and, and disable his confidence in the workforce, which is no longer that case. And all it took was looking at some parental garbage and scraping off that barnacle. You know what I mean? So that's why that example is perfect, because it's not something we would think of. We think of something more traumatic. So I would ask the audience, what is it about your life that keeps happening that you fucking hate, mm. that you don't like? Do you keep attracting the same psycho chick? Do you keep whatever it is? You got to look at that. There's a theme there. There's some parental garbage there. There's something going on there that you can nab and correct and then start attracting new scenarios. Brandon was going to be on that train forever if he didn't get off it, but it took him speaking up. You know what I mean? Not allowing someone to bully him and also changing the paradigm and seeing where it came from that, like, why was he always in this situation where he's getting blamed for shit he didn't do? Very unique to him, but nonetheless, really unfortunate as to how it played out in his work life for two decades until he fixed it. Yeah, I guess it's a blind spot, obviously, and we can uh, walk through these patterns, uh, typically blaming the situation or blaming all the terrible bosses we've had in succession or, or partners where uh, the, the thing blew up in a similar manner as the previous one, because all these chicks seem to be psycho because they're from LA or New York City or whatever this the story is. And I think we we get wrapped up uh, so deep into, um, you know, a, a lack of self awareness, uh, e even subtle things. Where I mean, that was a pretty extreme example where you're standing up to your boss finally, who's been you know verbally abusing you, whatever. But I, I think the nuanced stuff is also important to to reflect upon where. Um, you well, know, are, are, I don't, are you I don't even realize back when it's not cooked right? 
That's a small What's one. that? It's like, are you sending your steak back when it's not cooked right? Uh-huh. Ah, yes, very one. good. Yeah. So the other side of the scale is like, uh, why don't why don't we do that? Um, was it something terrible or that we're going to blame on parental garbage? Probably not. Uh, but it's just kind of we we've worked our way into a certain uh, corner, and that's that's how we're treated and how we treat others, and that's the part that if we could unwind, it would be really nice. It's usually some sense of people pleasing. So, uh-huh. you know, if you're not going to put the steak back, it's because you either are fearful and worried about what people are on the table of you think, what the restaurant, what the chef or whatever might think of you. But again, it all has to do with your projected opinion of what someone else may or may not think about you, which is freaking insane if you actually look at them, break it down logically, right? So there's always that essence there. Um, And that is the opposite of being confident is being a people pleaser. When you're a people pleaser, you say and do and agree to things that you don't really want to because you're Mm -hmm. afraid of hurting someone's feelings or you're afraid of being rejected, etc. And it creates uh, passive aggressive behavior, covert contracts and all sorts of things that happen that don't need to happen. And that is why, by the way, we are drawn to and attracted to people who showcase confidence because we intuitively perceive that these people approach any opportunity with assurance. They have trust in themselves. They and they're true to themselves. You know what I mean? I mean, confident people, if you're dealing with like a really loud, outspoken person who seems confident because they're brutally assertive or bold, they could just be an asshole and a bully. That's not someone who's confident because confident people make others feel worthy because they them they themselves feel worthy. They don't bully people, <laughs> you know, they don't compete with people. So that might be someone who has an air of outward confidence, but is uncoached and needs that refinement because they're using their confidence as dominance, right? In, an, in a negative misappropriated way. And so what kind of coaching comes into play here? What are some ways that the the confidence can be properly directed? Well, I mean, I think, you, you know, aside from going through parental garbage downers, we also really like one of the biggest components of this is how are we thinking and encouraging or not encouraging other people, which is the downer effect. We're all downers. We've all been downers. <laughs> but what we hate the most is when someone downers us, when you're like, oh, I'm so excited about this business. And someone's like, I don't know, man, that's risky. Like 50% of businesses fail. Like, you know, th- those downers that are always like, Oh, I'm going to write a book. Huh, really? I don't know. I've never written a book before though. Like that kind of shit. You get it from everywhere. You get it from the people that most, that love you the most. I talk about, I got downered on my first book. Um, I'll give the run through. Uh, as I was doing paleothyroid solution, I called a family member and I was about to pitch the book to Mark. And they were like, I said, I'm so excited. I'm going to pitch a book to Mark. And they're like, well, you've never written a book before. Now, I said, all right, well, that's just like a different genre. I'm a writer. I've written so many different things. This is not a big deal. It's just a, it's just a different, different, you know, avenue. Um, so that immediately was you're put on the defensive. That's right. That's downer number one. Downer number two was Mark said, I'll publish your book. And I went to the same family member. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Mark's going to publish my book. And their response was, well, like now you're going to have to write it. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, okay, <laughs> like, fuck man, damn, like I can't win here. Okay. So I was like, well, of course I'm going to write it. Like, <laughs> Okay. Then the third downer, Barnes and Nobles had contacted you and was like, Hey, we, before the book even came out, they were like, Hey, we'd like to purchase a thousand copies. And I called that family member and I was really excited. I'm like, Oh my God, Barnes and Noble already purchased a thousand copies. And this was their response. Well, that's silly. Like, why would Barnes and Nobles purchase a copy they haven't even, like, of a book they haven't even, like, read yet? That seems really like a, a risk. Oh, my God. So in all of those cases, don't believe you can write it. Are you really going to do it? Well, you've never done it before. I'm not sure you're capable. Also, why would someone be so dumb to possibly have your book? It could really suck, and then they're fucked. 
what all, all this stuff is like, what a downer, dude, right? Okay. When I finished writing the book, I showed that exact portion to the person and they read it. I go, that's you, mofo. And they were like, oh my God, but I didn't mean it in any of that way. Mm -hmm. And I go, do you see? They go, oh my God, I see though. I see. So when are we downering other people's confidence? I'm down with OPC. If you want to be confident, you have to start encouraging others because here's the truth. When you roll your eyes at someone's plan, like, oh, I'm going to go to LA and be an actress. And you roll your eyes and you're like, good luck with that. You're hoping they fail. F you, you're garbage. Stop it. We've all done it. I've done it. We downer people all the time in our heads. Catch yourself. Turn it around. Do you think this is- uh, Go ahead. Do you think it's coming from uh, jealousy or the person all of a sudden, uh, you know, getting triggered uh, because they've dreamed of written a book their whole life and uh, the the thing just lights them up immediately and they spew out downer commentary to kind of as a self-protection mechanism or something? Could be both, could be one or the other. Um, I also had a friend, uh, one of my best friends, and this is why it's good to have confident as fuck friends because you don't get into passive aggressive stuff. If there's anything that's disagreed upon, it's like quick and it's over. And uh, one of my best friends had called me during the time that I was writing Paleothyroid Solution and like a a concerned parent the night before a project, they were like, hey, uh, are you writing? Like, are you you writing, dude? Like, how far are you? Like, what are you, real skeptical. And I just said to them, I go, hey, just because you've never written a book before, don't be projecting that lack of confidence onto me. Don't you be doing that? Don't you be a yeah. downer, man? Just because you've never written a book. Have I ever not started something I didn't finish? Like what? You've known me for 30 years. Immediately he was like, dude, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. So who knows where that was coming from? Either way, I think we have this tendency to kick into like what's realistic or protective mode, right? But short of somebody going and doing something really dangerous, encourage your friends and turn your mind around when you roll your eyes. Yeah, right. You know, and by the way, great story. Many, many years ago in high school, I went to school with these two girls who uh, were both like, we're going to go to LA and be actresses. Now, you know, I'm in like, like 16 years old at the time. And I, they were at my house for a party. And I remember literally in my head going like, good luck, like bullshit. Like, good luck with that. You'll be like in my head. That's what I was thinking. Like, haha, good luck with that. Never going to make it. Both of them turned out to be incredibly famous incredibly famous, well-respected actors. Incredibly. Now, I'm not saying that like my downering them. I I do feel like when you get downered, it does propel you to a a level of success. That's Mm -hmm. my belief when someone downers me. But you know, like I look back on that and I'm like, ah, that's interesting. And then when I was pursuing the same thing many years ago, many years later in in LA, I thought about that because I would get downered by people when you tell them you're an actor, you tell them you're going to be a writer, et cetera. Um, So people are going to project a lack of confidence onto you, particularly if you're an entrepreneur or you're in a creative space, like a musician, a writer, an actor, any of these kind of things, people really don't look fondly upon them because there are no measured benchmarks. It's kind of like a crapshoot to them, right? You go get a job as an attorney, as a firm and you know if you're on track or not to a certain point. There are no benchmarks here in this industry as a writer, as anything, right? So I think people worry about that because they feel like, oh, it's so highly competitive. It's so risky. But this is what I'd say when someone's like, someone said to me once, they were like, uh, oh God, being a writer must be tough. That's like so competitive. And I go, is it? Is it for all of the people doing well at it who've already done it? Is it hard for them? Like, I, how about I'm on the side of where it's not hard? I don't, you know what I mean? So, so again, we got to look at the downer effect. Where are we downering other people? Let me give a great example that doesn't seem like it has anything to do with confidence, but I think it's important because we all do it. We all have these thoughts. I was on a phone call with a friend of mine 
who is in her forties and she has never had health insurance her like entire life, which to me is crazy. Cause I was raised where it's like, you know, walk out of the house unless you have car insurance and health insurance, you know, uh, you could fall off a cliff. It could be a million dollars. You only have to pay this much, right? Like I've, I've been a beneficiary of insurance. So for me, my belief is, oh my God, you have to have insurance. So here I am on the call and I'm trying to beat it into where I'm like, this is dumb. Something could go wrong. That's really stupid. Like you carve a pumpkin, you cut a little thing. It's going to be 80 grand. You're going to get screwed. Like you have to have insurance. This is so dumb. And she's like, oh, I just don't have the same beliefs about health and health insurance that you do. I just, I don't worry about it. I do not walk out of the house and worry that like, I don't have health, like I'm fine. I feel good about my health. And I'm, I can't disagree with it, but Brad at the time, man, I was like, girl, you are dumb. And I, I, I'm trying to convince her. I'm still trying to convince her. She, she doesn't, she's not having any of it. We get off the phone call. And my first thought is she's so dumb. Watch something's going to happen. She'll see. Ooh, shit. Hold on. Think about that. Watch, she'll see. So I'm wanting to be right there, right? Like, I'll be right. Watch, she'll see. She'll see how right I am. In order for me to be right, she has to A, get a health problem. Do I want that for my best friend? Do I? No. Two, she has to be so screwed financially because of that health issue that it proves my point. Do I want, that's hoping terrible failure on somebody for what? For me to be right and prove a point to say, aha, so you think when she's in the hospital with, you know, $80,000 worth of injuries, I'm going to go, I fucking told you, told you, right? We have these thoughts all the time. It's ego, it's whatever, but you got to recognize it. So at that time, I recognize it right away. In fact, I called her afterwards. She's pretty woke. And I go, dude, I just had this terrible thought. I need to flush it out. But in that moment, how do you know when you're in that situation where you're really hoping for someone else's failure, jealousy, or either you are feeling like you want to be right. Like you have to prove a point, like uh, you know, I'll show that that kind of thing. And then you need to sit there and go, Whoa, what did I just put out there? What did I just put out there? I just put out there. Cause I was, cause, cause she just has a different belief than me. And I, I want to be right. I mean, so these little thoughts and someone say, well, why does it matter? Elle? It's just a thought. Well, thought is energy, but also people feel that. Do you want your friends thinking that way about you? So I just canceled it really quick and was like, oh my gosh, no, no, no. (laughs) Please let her have a healthy life and no issues ever. I don't want to be right about that. But our ego gets in the way and we downer other people's confidence or we downer people in these other kind of ways. Um, And what it is, is it's really hoping for their failure. That's also what jealousy is. When you're jealous of someone, you are the thing that you're jealous of them for, you're hoping they fail at. So confident people aren't jealous. They actually don't compete. Um, They feel like there's enough abundance to go around, which is why they're helpful and help other people's careers. If someone, you know, you know me, I'm so, so are you. We're helpful. We, we help people get on podcasts. We help promote people's stuff. We're very encouraging to other people. Um, But, you know, the moment you start to edge back from that, you're getting into a place of lack and competition, which is really only going to fail you. So if someone came to me tomorrow and was like, I want to be a writer or a podcaster, I'm not a threatened. I'm like, great. How can I help you? I don't think, what if she gets more followers than me? What if her podcast is more popular? Like, those are the kind of things that confident people don't do, which is why when you come across someone that's not helpful or competitive, they are not confident. They are insecure. Same with someone who's bragging and boasting and name dropping, you know, all night in an event. Does anyone look at that person like they're insecure? No, we feel gross inside around that person because we're just like, oh, I'm embarrassed for you, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking back to the example where you were offering your opinion about the importance of health insurance. And it's coming from 
a well-meaning place. You're, you're concerned about your friend's well-being. And oftentimes when we call people on something that, you know, we take offense to or, or, or seems a little bit off base, uh, they can kind of respond saying, oh, it's really, you know, I'm concerned about your, your well-being. And, and that's why I'm, uh, you know, projecting these insights to you that you might, you know, take personally or, or take as a criticism. And so where's that fine line where, uh, you know, health insurance is an important topic to discuss with someone and, and you know, the eventualities of what can happen, uh, but not doing it in a negative way. Well, and I, and I, and I had tried that initially. It was initially like, Hey, like, this is just like, I, you know, I'm just concerned. I've been the benefit. I know what it's like when something happens that's unexpected and thank God I did have insurance. But again, her, she has a different belief system. And if there's no convincing the person, then what you're left with afterwards is that thought like, oh, so stupid. Watch. They'll, uh-huh. they'll see. So you were, you were unable the to thought. convince that's her. The, my, yeah. I didn't convince her. I never, I still haven't convinced her. <laughs> I'm going right. to stop convincing her. Um, but again, it's like, that's yucky vibes and a really terrible vibration. It's also lowering my vibration at that time to be sitting there going, she's so dumb. Like she did, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. So we have to think where are we? So, so basically if you keep telling your sister, Mary, about all your exciting things that you want to do. And she keeps downering them. Stop talking to fucking Mary, mm. okay? She's not going to change, man. Mary is a person that downers stuff, okay? That that family member with the, the story I told you about downering my book, that's just who they are. So I don't call them when I have something exciting or something I'm, you know, I would call you over some, some I would call friends that are going to be like, right on, girl, go get it, fuck yeah. Like encouraging, right? Who are going to give me that response. And, and here's the thing. Even if you don't believe your friend's going to make it as she's on his way to LA and you think she's a terrible actress and you think it's really stupid of her and she's wasting her time, well, that's great. That's your judgment. You're a really shitty, unsupportive friend. You need to turn it around even in your head and just go, hold on a minute. Wouldn't I want her to get better? Wouldn't I want her to succeed at her dreams? And here's the thing. If you've got all these friends around you and you're jealous or you're rolling your eyes at all of their plans and don't agree with what they're doing with their life, do you really want a bunch of friends that are all losers? No, I mean, that's really what you're kind of hoping for, essentially. If every time a friend comes up with yeah. a big idea, yeah. you're you'll the downer be, about you'll it. You'll be on top. Yeah. All, right. your friends right. will, all right. your friends will be poor and you'll be a best-selling author. Hey, wonderful. How, how great. You're, you're buying all the dinners when you guys go out together. Thanks to exactly. the energy you spread to your, your friends group. Well, so I, I was we going to ask you, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a tricky situation here at times because uh, there is a such thing as, you know, dispensing kind of unrealistic, uh, uh, fluffy encouragement uh, rather than uh, p- people call me all the time and ask uh, about the idea that they have to write a book. And I give them the straight up scoop. That yep. if you're thinking of economic success here, um, it's okay. a really rough road. And let me tell you, you know how the process works in a in a factual manner, and then you can judge for yourself uh, whether you have over three hundred thousand uh, social media followers or not. Because then you're in a different category than a celebrity. Who but but you're not saying out. to them, I don't think you should do it because of these risks. You're just saying, let me lay it out for you though, and tell you all the stuff. And I do the same thing too. I'm like, don't write a book if you think like it's a means to money. That's not why anyone should ever write a book. It's about you're compelled to get whatever information is out there right? So that's, that's realistic. That's not downering. You know, that's just saying, Hey, here's my experience. And this is what I've noticed. And so just keep those factors in mind. You know, um, for example, someone once said to me too, they were like, Hey, do you think I, they're like, do you think I'd be a good coach? And I said, the fact that you asked me that questions means right now, no, 
No, you're you're asking the question, and more importantly, in that situation particularly, I think the friend that that person was thinking about things that they could be good at, but not what, what they were compelled to do, or what they wanted to do. Do you know what I'm saying? So again, I mean, I wasn't trying to downer them in that moment. It was just being realistic. It was like, well, with that attitude, probably not. <laughs> you know, and you've got to get to a different place or a different mm. level of love and feeling compelled to do it, uh, bef- and excited before you probably are going to be successful at it. Um, because they asked it very skeptically. Yeah, very, yeah. Very weak. Um, I think we so sometimes about, go fishing You can be realistic with someone. You can be realistic and go, hey, well, jumping off a bridge, doing bungee jumping, like, here are the risks. I support you, but as long as you feel comfortable. I mean, it's okay to give some warnings and things like that. It's when it's when people are really, and you, we can all tell when someone sort of doesn't believe in us. We can all tell that vibe. And that's why I would say, when you have that thought, even if it's not expressed and you had a downer thought about a friend or you were really stop, turn it around, get to a good place, start to wish them well, just put, put the good vibes out there. We want all of our friends to feel that way about us. How would you feel if you knew your friend was being like, Oh God, Brad's going to write another book. Good luck with that. Brad. Like, you know, you'd be like, come on, man, support me. And all that that person is going to remember at that time is that you supported them. You can support them with realistic notions or, or help them figure that out. But at the end of the day, you've got to encourage too. Right. And I think the closer we are to people, such as friends, family members, partners, where we have no filter on, on what we can say and everything's fair game because of the, the dynamics like that, that's when we can really get into trouble with, you know, offering our straight up honest opinion that's not, uh, you know, false encouragement. And it turns out to be uh, you know, discouraging someone rather than being really careful with your choice of words, talking about how difficult and challenging uh, the person's stated goal is. Uh, but it's so important to do your best and go for it. And even if you fail, it's okay. I mean, that's a message you could send to a kid rather than, are you crazy? You know, um, right. you'll, you, you'll run out of money in six months if you try to start up an app without, you know, expert uh, venture capital, whatever. Right, right. And, um, you know, I think we also have to be careful uh, and discern when our advice is solicited, especially here in the health space. And you and I have talked about this a lot over, over the years where, you know, if people aren't open to receiving the message, then you're just wasting your breath and you're very potentially being a downer because you're going to yes. talk to the person about the bottled industrial seed oils you see on their, on their shelf when they didn't ask you for an opinion about the bottled industrial seed oils. And so I'm yes, learning- Yes, you can be uh, a downer in the other way, trying to help right. somebody or try trying to- Trying so hard to help because you're such a nice person and you care so much. Eh? Not unless they're open. Not, yeah. now, now we don't do like, if I saw someone, if I saw someone <laughs> in the house with a bottle of canola oil, zipping it right like we know better now i'm just like don't even bring it up or you know know, looking looking for that opening dancing and tiptoeing around where you you do have a chance to mention it and at least take your shot right you know one of the things i wanted to ask you or i I thought i'd bring this up because it's in my book a little bit but i want to talk about like how can we instill confidence more in children and other people so You had a thing. Do you remember you wrote a little bit of an article about like stop complimenting your girls on looks, but then in that article you accidentally did it and I called you. Remember that? Yeah, it was the inverse power of praise, a great article that was um, sort of referencing Carol Dweck's work and Poe Bronson and Ashley Merriman's work about, um, uh, you know, how we... um, we tend to uh, praise attributes rather than effort. And so people, right. especially children, form uh, their self-image 
and they protect it very carefully. So if you tell a kid, you're so smart, you finished all your math problems so quickly, they form an association that they're smart and good in math to the extent okay. that they are unwilling to take risks and push and challenge themselves to get better because they want to protect that self-identity that they've been pounded into rather than that, you know, the appropriate example would be you made a great effort on that and oh boy, all, all the answers are right. So, so that's good too, but it's mostly about the effort and working toward improvement. Right. And what I would say is that, so this, the problem is more with little girls because I think guys don't know what to say. And we always go to, oh, look how pretty you are. What a pretty bow. What a cute dress. Look, there's no little girl that doesn't like those kind of compliments. However, it gets really old over time. And the most important and the most effective way to, to, and I've worked with kids my entire life. So even though I don't have them, I you know, I taught at preschool, seventh and eighth graders. I, I was even the camp counselor to the CEO of Primal Kitchen, <laughs> remember Morgan? Um, but, but here's the thing. Y- you do want to constantly convince them that they're smart. One of the best ways to do that is embrace and praise observations they make. Kids are making observations constantly. They are constantly connecting dots, okay? When they do that, you know it because you're thinking it. Say it. Be like, that is such, so smart. I, you did it and then you connected that. For example, I'll give one where it would be appropriate. Remember this last year, and this is not even political, but it was kind of funny. Remember when uh, our former president came out and said, he suggested like, oh, maybe you can uh, inject disinfectant for the virus, or maybe you can put some bleed. Like he had some ideas. Now, again, here's the thing. That was coming from like a 70 plus year old man, which is why we were like, oh my God. But here's the thing. Let's say a kid said that to you during Corona and they were like, daddy, why can't we just, you wouldn't be like, that's so dumb. You would, the best way to do that, or instead of saying, no, 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 that's not what we do. Explain and also praise because that is a great connection. Ah, I see why you would make that connection because the things Mm. we spray on the counter clean off the dirt. Very good, but that's different. These things go on surfaces, they're not allowed in the human body. That's a perfect opportunity. Now, you know, again, it happened with this, but that would be when I heard that, I thought, oh, that would be like a a three year old, five year old's observation or something. So even if a kid (laughs) makes an observation that's wrong, there's something in there that's probably right. Point it out, continually reinforce their observations and the connections that they're making and continually telling them how smart they are. This is really the best way to build confidence in kids. Right. And you've attached it to something they did. So I think the, the general example is don't just uh, spew out effusive praise that's not you know connected to any effort. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to get the the golden child that thinks they can do no wrong, and then maybe have some of those those blind spots that you mentioned at the start of the show. Maybe we could go back and touch on those a little bit. Where um, you know you you declare yourself as a confident person uh, and are standing up here saying that's great. I know you as a confident person as well. And going up on stage at the paleo conference and and killing the speech and not having any insecurities or anxieties to work through. You just go up there and tell your story, whatever. Uh, But then you, you're noticing that uh, there's these blind spots or these, um, I forget what you, you labeled them, but uh, yeah, yeah, the pitfalls. So um, what were those again? And how are you working through those in, in your own daily life? So my biggest pitfall was, you know, I've talked briefly about it with you on your podcast prior. I have a chapter in the book called Shame Disables Confidence because um, I have a, you know, hand disability that I've had for like 20 something years. And I was, I could get away with it because you can't see it. 
and I can live a normal life. So it looks like I'm quote normal. And yet I was so ashamed of this that it really disrupted my confidence um, and self-esteem, the, the internal confidence as fuck with friends and colleagues and also romantic relationships. So I was confident in every area of my life, but I was carrying such shame over here and trying to shuffle it under the rug that it really alienated me. And, and, and again, like it was part of me having to learn how to get vulnerable and start to be vulnerable and open about this. Now, it's not that everybody who has some sort of shame and it doesn't matter what your shame's about. People, you can, no one can tell you how serious or not serious your shame is. You could have shame because you have unsightly moles on your back, whatever. Okay. Or you could have hit someone as a drunk driver 20 years ago and killed them. And you still have shame. Even if you served your time, it doesn't matter what it is. You got to get flat with it. You don't have to do a Facebook post or write a chapter, but you got to get good with it. Even if you take it to the grave, you got to have no shame about your shame. This is really the biggest disruptor of confidence. Um, I mean, particularly, let's say you have shame about your sexuality and you really need to come out as a gay person in this world, but you're, you know, living in the middle of small town Nebraska. And this is a very difficult thing that's really going to screw up your life and how you go about the world, right? So having any kind of shame needs to be dealt with. And for me, it was my physical disability. And the way that it disrupted it was, in romantic relationships and personal relationships because I could not be vulnerable. So it was like a one-sided relationship. And then I couldn't really trust you to like me for who I am because you didn't know this big story about me. Or maybe I was afraid if I told you this, you'd think I was less than or whatever it was. Either way, all, all about me. One of the problems with shame though is when people are ashamed of something and they tell people, well-meaning people like us, your family members will say things like, oh, I don't even know why you're ashamed mm. about that. Like, you don't need mm. to be ashamed. That's ridiculous. And that is harsh because it only makes the person who has shame go inward further because it's kind of saying you're dumb for being ashamed. It negates it, yeah. It negates it. So it's really important. And I get it. It's well-meaning. But when you hear that over and over again from friends and people, you start to just kind of cower inward and go, well, I, you know, every time I bring it up, people kind of tell me I'm stupid and it shouldn't feel this way. And it makes me feel then even more ashamed for feeling like shame. So shame will disable your confidence. And my confidence was in the arena of, of romantic relationships. I could not speak up. I could not speak vulnerability and intimacy, verbal intimacy because I was like hiding this thing and not wanting to, you know, or it, even if it wasn't about, let's say my arm injury, it would be, let's say something negative happened in my life. I would go tell some friends and other people and keep it away from my loved one because I was like, I don't want to bring up something negative or weak or something that I've, again, just this like facade. And that's where that's a pitfall for confident people. And that's why it made me unaccessible. And I remember years of doing sketch comedy. I stayed on the outside of all of the people at the theater. I had a couple of good buddies, but I, I didn't go to a lot of these barbecues and things like that. I wanted to stay on the outside because I didn't want anyone to get to know me too well, because then they might find out about this thing and I would have to deal with it. And I don't want to talk about it. And I'd rather just ignore it. So I, I, I wouldn't know what it could have should us, but you know, I, there were some friendships there that probably could have been deepened. I probably could have had a lot more fun in life had I joined and hung out with my friends who I love doing comedy with, but I didn't because I just wanted to kind of stay on the outside. And I remember someone said to me once, they're like, you know, Al, no one really knows a lot about you. And I remember being like, good, you know, like, yeah, I'm doing my job. You know, or when I told you and Mark about my disability, you were like, oh, my God, oh, I had no idea. And I was like, exactly, because that's the way I was living my life. I couldn't even get through this story without sobbing, crying, like just a few years ago. So the fact that I could just talk about it with no shame now. And I did a speech at Paleo FX called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame, because the shame is more disabling than the actual disability itself. And I really, if I could, I'd go back in time. That would be the first thing 
that I would deal with immediately. Um, so everyone's probably got a little something there. Or if you do, that's probably your biggest disabler to confidence. Right. Everyone's probably got a little something there. Yours was the physical disability with your hands, but it very well could have been anything else. And probably a lot of us can relate to, you know, whatever our dark side is that we're trying to hide from other people. And until I guess, until you come to terms with it, um, it's always, it's always going to get in the way. It's just, it's just a symbol of, um, you know, putting, putting things in the way. So how have you worked through that since I guess, you know, you made a decision to, uh, to go, to go public. And so that's one step. And then on a day-to-day basis, um, do things come up that kind of, uh, you have to work through? I, uh, the way I did it was I had to start to be open and vulnerable about that thing I was ashamed about. And the best part of this story is, and this is, there's, there's a whole chapter in my book. It talks about, you know, me working for Mark and you and, and all the stuff. So it's a very in-depth story about my disability. But what happened was, is I realized I started to have to just kind of like speak my truth about this. I had to start to get comfortable because I would like date someone and I couldn't tell them any, I wouldn't tell them any, like I just had to get it out. Right. And just be accepted for who I was. So I was talking with a fellow podcaster, Karen Martell many years ago. And she said, she asked me a very pointed question where normally I would dance around it semantically to avoid getting into the, the truth. But I decided in that moment, I was like, you can continue the shame game or you could just rip off the band-aid right fucking out with somewhat of a stranger and just tell them. So I tell her my hand disability story, a brief version. And her response is, oh my God, that happened to me. I ruined my hands from 15 years of being a rolfer, which as you know, is very intense body work with your hands. <clears throat> and she said, I always wanted to be a health coach, but I thought it was unrealistic. So I went to go be a rolfer and then the universe cut the golden handcuffs off my wrist, which is exactly what it did to me too. Um, and then, so after I got off that phone conversation, I started, you know, I really teared up because, oh my God, what are the odds that the first shot I take at just being vulnerable with a stranger and she happens to also have a hand disability you can't see. Then it got even crazier because a couple of weeks later I was interviewing a model named Jeslyn Moyer. She's also used to be the host of a couple of shows and um, at Jeslyn, J-E-Z-L-A-N is her Instagram. And you look at her, she looks totally fine, but someone said you should interview her. She has a really interesting health story and I didn't know what it was, but she gets on the podcast and uh, I had to mute the microphone because during her discussion, she says, I had a freak accident that severed nearly every tendon and nerve leading to my left hand. And when I woke up out of eight hour, like an eight hour emergency surgery, I could not feel my left hand at all. And one of her first thoughts, which is kind of of shame and kind of of who would want me and also of like the physical thing was, oh my God, am I ever going to feel a guy put a ring on my finger? Because it's her left hand. Cut to years later, she just got a ring put on her finger and I like want to cry about it. I'm so happy for her. Um, when you, and she has chronic regional pain syndrome. And anyway, her, her hand, like she is in much more pain on a regular basis, way more than I ever could be. So my two forays into like, let me just be vulnerable about this. And I meet two chicks with hand disabilities that you can't F and C. Are you kidding me? And not only that, I am less alone because they understand. So now for the first time in 20 years, I'm talking to two women who like went through this and understand what it's like. There are things like even just going to the doctor to get paperwork done is like, brings it all, brings up all the stuff, you know? Um, you know, I, I got like a pitch, a water pitcher for my refrigerator that was like way too big. And I'm like, ah, shit, why did I do that? I can't handle it with one hand. I got to do two, you know? So like there are these kind of things. Um, 
And, and so I'm really, I'm really grateful for both of them to allow me to share those stories in the book, but also it really let me know that I was on the right path. Cause what are the freaking odds that I open up and I meet these two people within just like a couple of weeks of trying out, just trying it out. And so that's when I knew like, okay. And then it took like telling the, 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 the guy that I dated, like just telling it, you know, just telling the story. It's part of my life. Um, and I have no problems with it now. And I was so fearful. I'd shake. I, I'd have friends roped into my lie. I mean, I, everything I could to avoid anyone ever, ever knowing. And so, um, that's how I dealt with it was actually just embracing vulnerability and being more vulnerable and open. And of course the most vulnerable is getting out and talking about it. I mean, you know, I don't think you can get more vulnerable than, you know, doing a speech or et cetera on stage, but also a disability can be a health issue. It's embarrassing to have a health issue. If you're struggling with cancer right now, or you have MS or, oh my gosh, you know, any of these things, it doesn't have to be a, a an arm missing. I mean, that's also a disability, but it really can be something like that. And it's, it's tough and I get it, but you got to talk to someone about it, whether it's a coach, a good friend, a therapist, because the shame has to be worked up. Otherwise, you just get choked up in the throat, which leads to, can lead to Where's thyroid. Where's the tons. thyroid? Oh, yeah, yeah get choked up, throat. can't speak. And maybe that is also part of what contributed to my having a thyroid problem as well. I couldn't speak up in relationships because of this disability thing. And I was very embarrassed and ashamed about it. And I wonder if maybe that all of that hiding and just sort of like trying to mitigate this, <laughs> this not coming out was, was part of maybe what got me choked up. In the throat. Yeah, you said that you described that so well on our first podcast. So I hope listeners will go back and listen to that. How you you lost your voice in life and relationships, and the thyroid gland is located right there. And if the listener uh, believes this stuff to be nonsense, then you're probably right, listener, that it's a bunch of baloney, and the thyroid gland goes south due to uh, reaction to certain plant antigens or whatever. But I, I love, you know, I know you're big in that space of the, the law of attraction and manifesting and your story of coming out and telling the, the two people that also had, uh, you know, similar disabilities is another great example of that. And, uh, you know, I remember um, we were talking about this. You're one of the first people that introduced me to, to some of these things like your vision board. I said, what's that on your wall there, Elle? And uh, you had cutouts from the magazines and it said best-selling author on the thing. And this was before the book was being published. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. And that's, you know, that was my exposure to it because I, I'm, I'm not big on that stuff. Uh, but, you know, as you learn more and more, and I talk to more and more experts about this, um, it's really powerful. It's real. You talked about the energy at one point in the conversation intention, where, you know, intention. the downer energy and the intention and you having to call your friend back so that she wouldn't get into a health misfortune and uh, see how, how gnarly it was not to have health insurance. And this stuff is, is really important to reflect upon, especially if you're a non-believer or someone who's sitting on the fence and, and you know, wondering what this stuff is all about. Uh, it, it's really nice to have an open mind. That's what I'll say about all that stuff. And I appreciate you kind of pr- putting those stories out there, like the one you just told, which is mind-blowing. Well, you know, Louise Hay, who's dead now, but she started Hay House at age 60. She died at like 90 something. She, her most famous book is called You Can Heal Your Life, right? Heal Your Life. And in it, the reason she wrote this book is she noticed a emotional slash lifestyle coordination between certain diseases. And, you know, she just kept seeing this theme. So if you look up Heal Your Life, you can look up like, what does Louise say about breast cancer or thyroid problems, right? And it wasn't until years later that I read her thing, but it was very true. She said what she noticed with people with thyroid problems are a couple things. One, um, the inability or lack of expressing one's creativity. 
So not expressing your yourself in life and what you need to do creatively, and also just not being able to speak up, feeling like you're not heard or choked up, inability to express oneself. And again, like at the time that I got into the thyroid issue, when I look back, I was in a relationship with someone who was very moody and I had to walk around. I was walking around eggshells and I was like, ah. and so I was like really choked up in the throat. And I just know that whenever I get that feeling, mm, it's got to be examined immediately from there, <laughs> but it, because it, 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 it goes back to this whole thing we're talking about where I'm like, oh, if that comes up, I got to address it right away. So whether or not that was partially the cause of a thyroid problem, again, this is the themes that Louise Hay has seen. And again, biology belief, all of this kind of stuff. You know, even Mark Sisson was really skeptical. I remember years ago, he told me like when The Secret came out, the movie, he was like, ah, bullshit, shit happens. He would show me the manuscript. Apparently he wanted to write a book called Shit Happens. And then, you know, and then his wife, Carrie, was like, yeah, you need to be a little bit more open-minded. And, you know, she's very spiritual and she's going down this path. She's an amazing manifester. And and he started to kind of ease up and go, no, you know, I kind of see. And it's interesting because Mark has done that before, uh, he lived in the apartment before he bought, he lives in Miami now, but he, you know, in a gorgeous house in Malibu in a gated community. But below the gated community, there were some apartments where he used to live, where he'd be packing his own, you know, like uh, boxes of supplements, things like that before he made any sort of dough. And he went to a party up in the gated community in a house right next to the one that he bought. And he said, then he goes, I'm going to live up here someday. I'm going to own a house up here someday. And I was like, that's kind of like intention manifesting 101. And he did. <laughs> he eventually did. So I think when he looks back, he can see some correlations to some of his intentions and vibes that he put out there. But yeah, I mean, I think, look, we're all skeptical at first. Uh, the whole book is obviously not about that, but it does go into a few things about thinking about how intention and vibration matters and mm-hmm. some of the experiments that have done on it. Um, the best book, I think, is called The Intention Experiment by Lynn McTaggart, who's an investigative journalist. She's been around for a very long time. She's a best-selling author. She wrote a book called The Intention Experiment because she was like, oh, really? Does this shit fucking work? Great. Let me see some scientific experiments on it because I'm not buying it. And that book is really, really fascinating. And the scientific experiments in there that have been corroborated like many times all over the world are really, truly something that might get you thinking differently about the thoughts and the vibrations and the things we're putting out there. Well said. I love it. I think uh, Dave Rossi, my frequent guest on the podcast, who's big in this world too, he said, uh, look at it this way. Anything you've ever accomplished in your life, you dreamed it up beforehand, right? You envisioned it and then it, it, you made it happen or whatever you want to say, but uh, how, how can you, um, how can you counter that? That's brilliant. L, you're, you're on fire today. I, I love catching up with you. I, I, we'll have to have regular checkpoints and just check out the state of the, the health community uh, every six months or so. It was you're, fine. You're you and work. Mark seem to be more carnivory now. You guys yeah, are kind of yeah, I noticed Mark just came yeah. out with the thing today on Mark's Daily Apple or something. I don't know when you release this, but maybe a few weeks ago that was talking about his latest thing. And he's like, I'm really not eating as many big ass salads anymore. And I'm eating a lot more. Protein. Luckily, the company makes steak sauce, too. So he can continue to to be the brand ambassador. But what's um, up with you? Yeah, are you mostly been... you're mostly kind of doing carnivore ish, right? A little less veggies. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that I have this uh, wonderful uh, document called the Carnivore Scores Chart. Uh, that I developed with Kate Kretzinger. You can find it on my website and it kind of ranks the most nutrient dense foods in the world. And of course they happen to be predominantly the animal based foods. That's where the true nutritional superstars are on the planet. So my goal is to defrost some uh, chicken uh, livers today. 
Yeah, I mean uh, the organ meats being you know right there at the at the very top, oysters, salmon roe, things like that. Oh, that yes. You know the true superfoods of the planet. And so I'm trying to emphasize the most nutrient dense foods I can. And I also really appreciate the message from uh, the people who have healed through restrictive diets, especially carnivore, probably the most sensible restrictive diet to test if you have autoimmune or inflammatory conditions. And Kate Kretzinger and Brett, gosh, Lloyd, Brett Lloyd are two people that have miraculously changed their whole entire dynamic. You guys got to look these people up. Brett was on so many antidepressants and a total disaster, mm. all sorts of medications. So his was all mental anxiety, emotional, all that kind of stuff. Kate Kretzinger had a ton of phil- just physical issues. If she, if that girl eats one macadamia nut, there's welts on her leg. Like she, and she's a beast too. So if you're out there and you're curious about that, those are two people that have so successfully treated like long-standing ailments with the carnivore diet. Yeah, I think the, the big picture for me is to continue to think critically and maintain an open mind because right now, especially the deeper you go into this space and we live and breathe this stuff all day, so we're pretty deep into it, you can form fixed and rigid beliefs that confirm uh, whatever you whatever you feel is important or whatever you've invested in or you know, uh, uh, you know, know been attached to. And that's when we get in really bad shape. And um, you know, we get blindsided and, and kind of left behind uh, because our ego is involved and we have to, you know, we have to stay in our box and how we've branded ourselves or whatever. So uh, I'm on the journey with all my listeners and readers together. And, you know, we're, we're just trying to, to stay on top of things and see what makes us feel good and uh, test and retest. And uh, I work with that Inside Tracker company, you're probably familiar with them, where they put together uh, blood tests, genetic tests, and also fitness data, like, you know, people you get from your Fitbit. And so, you know, we have today the best chance ever to really go deep and to see what personally works for us. And I think that's also another huge takeaway. And you talk about this with so many podcast guests that it's really becoming individualized so that we can't make these blanket statements like keto is the bomb for everybody. Don't eat carbs. You're going to feel so great. Well, um, not for me particularly, because I'm really trying to continue to do high intensity workouts that are difficult, especially at my age and recover quickly. And sometimes I feel That's like not a good paradigm for that. dietary carbohydrates can come in there and assist me with my recovery, uh, rather than be another potential stressor along with the workout, along with being old guy trying to do crazy workouts and so on down the line. So we have to keep, you know, keep pushing forward and being open-minded and listening carefully to people that are, that are telling their stories. I was thinking about you because I was hiking with, uh, do you remember Daniel from Primal? Sure. Yeah, I was hiking with Daniel. He's my pandemic hiking buddy. We were hiking over here uh, and uh, at Cheesebro. And uh, I remember you being like, oh, yeah. I was telling Daniel on the hike, I'm like, Brad, Brad would be waking up doing this motherfucking eight mile trail here. Like, because I remember I talked to you, I was like, oh, I got this trail. You're like, oh, that's place great. I do that eight miler. Like, you know, every now and then I'm like, oh my God, Brad, like, I only wish, I, I wish I like you, Mark and Tara Garrison. It's like my, I admire you guys so much. I want to be you in terms of this, like amazing athletic prowess you guys all have. Or well, just it's, workout it's great, great checking in. We're going to come back to you in, in, in due time. But for now, uh, how do we get all in on this, on this confident as fuck program and uh, follow you in other ways? 
Yeah, on Amazon, you can get it in Kindle or, you know, uh, soft cover and uh, confident as fuck. You can just type it in, even though there's an asterisk over the C. And then also lrust.com, E-L-L-E-R-U-S-S.com. There is a free thyroid guide there right on the top over to the right. Just click it. You don't need to buy my book. If you've got a thyroid issue and that's what you're interested in, in, in looking into me for, just look at the thyroid guide. It's got free resources. What kind of tests to get? Where do you go to figure stuff out? What do you do? Just to even get you started, um, but you can also find the Paleo Thyroid Solution on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and all that kind of stuff too. So, and then yeah, every Monday, Primal Blueprint Podcast, do an episode where I interview someone, and then every Wednesday, Kick Ass Life Podcast with Tara Garrison, where we just talk some smack about things that can make your life better. Uh, the Kick Ass Life Podcast is always a blast. So go go check that out, people, along with Primal Blueprint. Thanks for spending the time, Mel Russ. Good show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.